This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, hi, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're having a great week as we get closer and closer to the 4th of July, where we will all celebrate America, I hope. I'm getting very doubtful that, you know, when you have to have the Homeland Security Secretary uh, focus on American monuments and statues, it makes me wonder if people truly appreciate how great this country is. I never said perfect, but I always thought great. I thought our enemies were on the outside over the last few weeks. I'm starting to think they're on the inside. A lot to discuss. One of the finest journalists I've ever met and watched, Lara Logan, will be with us shortly. In fact, 30 minutes, I shouldn't say shortly. She's Fox Nation host of Lara Logan Has No Agenda. Uh, She just pursues the truth and also is a great commentator on what the journalists in this country are not doing. Uh, We do have some breaking news, and uh, it's all part of our big three. I think a lot of people have been focusing on the virus, which is very bad, but not focusing enough on the downsides of some of the reactions to the virus. The hospital directors say the cases are much less acute, requiring much less intervention than what they saw back in April and so on. Molly Hemingway pointing out the good side of an 80 percent rise in coronavirus cases racing through the country Uh, in the last two weeks. It's been tough. 500,000 tests a day. Harvard says we need a million Good news is, though, as you just heard, the deaths are flat. Number two. I'm happy to take questions if you have them. I wonder where do you think the race stands at this moment? What keeps you up at night? If elected, how are you going to get Americans on the same page? Senator Obama, are you comfortable? Is there anything we can get for you? (laughs) I've been waiting for that moment because that's an SNL moment that nobody even puts online anymore. Because it mocks the fact that Barack Obama coasted to the 2008 primary victory over Hillary Clinton. And that was them mocking over the fact that Hillary got the tougher questions at the debates. Biden breaks from the basement, makes a generic speech and takes the softest question since President Obama lived in the White House. The difference in tone in Trump uh, with Trump is striking. We'll share that and more about the presidential race. Number one. I am proud of the changes that we secured. I do wish we had done more to cut the NYPD. This is the beginning. We are going to reimagine policing in New York City, and we're not going to stop until we get there. Oh, yes, you will. If the New Yorkers have something to say about it, because 57 percent do not want the city, the NYPD defunded. But that's what's happening and diminished. The police went from theory to reality yesterday uh, in New York City. One billion is now cut out of the NYPD budget. They're already starting to phase out the LAPD. I'm not kidding. And all of this is not enough for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. She wants more. While at this hour, Seattle police are moving in 
to take back that chop zone, the autonomous zone. Meanwhile, a couple who took up arms because police were not coming to protect them find themselves under fire. So here's the story in the breaking news in Seattle. That embarrassment to this nation that was seven blocks down to four blocks that had shooting after shooting and the death of two teens two days ago. Now Mayor Durkin, the liberal attorney, excuse me, the liberal mayor who wanted a summer of love issued a proclamation of civil emergency regarding the East Precinct and Cal Anderson Park. It just happened. The order declared the gathering in this area as unlawful assembly, requiring immediate action from city agencies, including the Seattle Police Department. If you're a Republican in Seattle, this is your opportunity to offer an alternative because this liberal mayor wasn't liberal enough for a lawmaker who led this whole march. And we heard, I, let, I played this for you yesterday. Two black leaders in the area saying, I don't know what this is, but we should just break this up. And when a 14-year-old gets shot dead, I think that's your only option. But it's happening all across the country, in Minneapolis, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Atlanta. They're reimagining police. They're making police the bad guy. Not society, not the family. Police are the bad guys. Here's Ray Kelly, one of the finest commissioners in the country, watching what's happening with the NYPD, cut seven. We can do meaningful reform in the selection process of who becomes a police officer. We need a much more sophisticated and, and deeper capacity to determine individuals who are not suited for policing. Plus, I think we also need to give the CEOs, the chiefs, the commissioners, the ability to terminate, to get rid of police officers who are who are problematic, who have a demonstrated pattern of abuse verbally or, or uh, physically. And those patterns are out there. You can see it fairly, fairly quickly. I don't see either of these things being discussed anywhere. They're not. Uh, so here, yeah, I want to tell you, so this is what they cut, uh, essentially. Uniform and civilian overtime reduction, $352 million. Move school safety agency from the NYPD to the Department of Education. Uh, good luck with that because education is also being cut. Cancel July of Police Academy. That's $55 million. That's no, it's not hello to 2,000 more cops. More school crossing guards. They're going to move them out, $42 million. Increase revenue from 165 uh, task force at $42 million. Uh, re- the uh, delayed delivery of fleet vehicles, even though 93 were uh, were blown up or somehow broken up. During those riots over the last few weeks, move homeless engagement union from the NYPD. Good. Fantastic. That I understand. But to make them the bad guys, I don't get. The L.A. City Council takes the first step to replace the LAPD. Did you see this? The city council announced the local lawmakers have approved the first step in a plan to replace police with unarmed first responders to handle nonviolent service calls. Good. Has anyone asked the first responders? Because they don't want to be police. Maybe they do. But usually you sign up for the academy if you want to be police. And you never know when something's going to go violent. Talk to any cop. They, very rarely do they know something's going to go off the rails. The LA City Council tweeted this out. We have just approved the first step of the plan to replace the LAPD with community-based unarmed emergency responders for nonviolent calls for service. This is the dawn of a new era of public safety. It's a scary era, right? And let's hope... That you don't need a call 911 and need a cop to show up. Because I have a sense they're going to remember who's doing this to them. Back to New York for a second. So when this billion dollar cut was passed, 
Richard Wells, the police conference of New York pre- and uh, the police conference of New York presidency, said this to Martha last night. Cut to the laws that have been passed, both on the city level and in the state of New York, by the legislature signed into law by the governor, have have truly handcuffed police officers throughout the state. We are no longer able to go out and protect society the way that we have been. We're not allowed to use basically any type of force. They are not training anyone. They, they've told us what we can't do, but they're not telling us what we can do and what we should do. No police department yet has come forward to do that. And until at that touch time as that happens, police officers have to second guess every move they make. And a lot of them are going to make a move. Uh, listen, uh, it's hard enough. Uh, it's dangerous enough in the perfect scenario. Let alone when you're not going to be back or you could end up in jail for doing what you were trained to do. Uh, the way you act in a split second is being judged from five different camera angles. And if you don't have the right camera angle, you end up in jail. And maybe in the case of what happened in Atlanta, if you're the police officer's mom, you get fired because it was making people uncomfortable to have you there. Look what happened in Tulsa, where Sergeant Craig Johnson has died. Body camera footage show, showed that the killer, the accused killer, arguing with police after he was pulled over for an expired paper tags, which means license plates, where he refused to exit the vehicle after he was informed that the car would likely be towed. The encounter escalated after 45 minutes before one of the officers tried to tase Ware. He was able to pull out the taser prongs, however, and continued to be belligerent. One of the officers then used the pepper spray to subdue him, but Ware remained defiant, eventually would reach into his passenger seat, pull out a gun, and shoot. That's what's going on in this country right now. Meanwhile, the president, uh, the vice president, uh, former vice president of the United States at a press conference yesterday. It lasted about an hour. He took 15 questions. He was not haltingly bad, but he was not haltingly good either. He wasn't smooth. He wasn't angry, right? We've seen him angry a lot when he gets charged with questions. But he made some generic conference, uh, uh, contrast between him and the president. And then he took some questions. And they were also almost all softballs. Here's the hardest one in figures. It comes from a Fox guy, Doug McKelloway, cut 19. Will you commit to three debates? Oh, yes. Three? Three, yeah. I, I, I commit to it. Look, I am committed to following the debate, the, uh, the national debate group that sets up these debates, who they pick as the moderators, three of them. It's been for this way for a long time. Next, cut 20. Last question real quick. Some have speculated line, sir, that, that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline. I'm 65. I don't have word recollection that I used to have. I forget my train of thought from time to time. You got 12 years on me, sir. Are, have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline? I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. Look, all, you, all I got to do is watch me and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. Thank you so much. There you go. Uh, Good answer. Halting answer. Not a smooth answer, but it's an answer. What the president has to do right now, and this is it, and it's almost like football, where if the team's up a lot, they'll just run the ball and try to eat up the clock. What you got to do is you got to get them ahead, or you got to get close and make them play. He's got to make Biden play. He's got to get Biden out of the basement, out of the locker room, and get him on the field. The more he does two or three events a day, the coronavirus allows that. He'll use it as an excuse if it doesn't. And the more the president can stick to the script, showing compassion for the black community, trying to attack what might be, and I don't believe it's extensive, but if it's there, let's hear it, some type of uh, a racial uh, 
misjudgment when it comes to uh, law enforcement. If you could find out why the coronavirus is slamming into minority communities and show an interest in that. Meet with these consortiums uh, around the country. In the Northwest, they made, a, they made an alliance. In the Northeast, they made an alliance. In the South, they made an alliance. Go to them. Bring them to the White House. Show an engagement. No one expects you to be a scientist, Mr. President. And then if you start doing that, showing a compassion and just governing while taking on China in a cohesive, comprehensive way, while uniting the rest of the world, it doesn't matter what Joe Biden does. You win. What do you think about that? And then Biden will have to come out. And then he's got to go try to get himself back in front. And that's when he is finished. He is through because he cannot come from behind. When he got behind, he fell apart. James Clyburn saved him because he didn't want Bernie Sanders. one 866 They're breaking up the chop zone. we got the breaking news there. We also have an Occupy uh, New York City and Manhattan. Uh, they, are, uh, they are beginning to vandalize the area, spray painting the cop cameras. They are way too close. They are not social distancing, but there's no outrage there. But if you have two beers shoulder to shoulder with somebody you're not related to, five alarm fire. I'm not buying it. You're not buying it. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Basically, what's behind it is the police backing off from being proactive. Here in New York City, the mayor eliminated the anti-crime units, which is which such an important um, uh, entity. They were so instrumental in fighting uh, violent street crime. So this is a sort of a signal that we're... Uh, surrendering, that we are accepting violent crime. And we're going to, unfortunately, continue to see crime uh, go up. Police are told to stand down. You could see it during the uh, 
protests. They didn't use the tactics and strategies that they had available. That is Ray Kelly. And man, he's getting exercised about what's happening to his city. And I just want to make this a New York show. I mean, we're in New York, but it's a national show. Uh, in St. Louis, we're going to get into the McCloskey situation where the uh, rampant unrest of these, uh, this couple taking up guns, and now they're being criticized and may be charged. Will is listening on WRCN on Long Island. Will. Will, you're a retired uh, police officer? Yes, I am from NYPD. Um, this is what happens when you have the chief of police, uh, chief of the department taking a knee in front of protesters, holding hands and kumbaya uh, That's just one point I want to say. Plus, uh, another point, oh, I mean, out here in Long Island, I haven't heard a word from either Peter King, that superhero, or Lee Zeldin, that superhero, stand side by side and talking about the Marxist revolution that's going on here. Okay. Well, Peter King is Peter King. I've not heard from, uh, but Lee Zeldin was just on last night. We should get him on. Maybe we'll we'll try to get Lee Zeldin on over the next two days. What do you want them to do? Well, they they have to stand shoulder to shoulder with the president and form a plan. And you're right; he should get he should get back his uh, his team to get to get him reelected because they are more intelligent than probably the two people that are trying to run it now. I don't know. I don't know them. But the guys that did the job the last time did a hell of a job. And Steve I Bannon, Dave Bossy, I want him back. Corey Lewandowski plays a valuable role. Kellyanne Conway's been sidelined. It's just Brad Parscale and Kellyanne Con- uh, and excuse me, Brad Parscale and Jared right now. They're leading the charge. It's not working. There's, there's no charge. There's no charge. Which one has fire in the belly? Corey Lewandowski had the fire in the belly, and so did uh, a few others on the team. So no fire in the belly. The, the president has a fire in the belly, but you know something? He can't, he can't do it all. You have to have Zeldin standing shoulder to shoulder. Peter King, he's probably trying to get a gig with uh, some news organization, so he doesn't want to come out controversial. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I just think Peter wants to retire, but I have not spoken to him. Mark, thanks for your service, Will. Well, well, hopefully the cops will go back to the way they used to do things. Mark, you're listening in New York. Mark, uh, you're probably not going to like this, but when you talk about the war on statues, they are now marching to get Lincoln out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Abraham Lincoln. You believe this? It's so upsetting, Brian, that we are going to be celebrating our Independence Day in two days, and we have a mob trying to bring down our history. I can participate in a sta- bringing down a statue, and nothing will happen. But if I personally was to defend a statue, I'd be attacked. It's so sad. I'm very upset, Brian. Thank you. I don't, bl- I don't blame you, but at least we had the Secretary of Homeland Security and the President's Executive Order that is going to look to secure those statues. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Richard's listening in Canada. Excuse me. All right. Uh, we'll hold off on that. But I just do want to go back to what's happening with law enforcement. And I don't mean to emphasize too much New York, but Bernie Carrick weighed in. Cut three. The mayor and the city council, um, they're taking what we would call normally. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The capital of the world, New York City, and they're going to turn it back into a cesspool like it was prior to 1994 under David Dinkins. You know, when I look at these cuts, a billion dollars, you're talking 1,200 recruit members coming into the NYPD in July that won't happen. Uh, They're cutting school safety and crossing guards out of the police department, putting it into the Board of Education, which is going to be there will be corruption issues there. They're talking 115 million for youth programs. 134 million goes to social services, 116 million to education. Here's the bottom line. You could have all the youth programs you want if the security and safety of the citizens are in jeopardy and they will be with these cuts. I never bought that this money that they're saving goes to youth programs. If you actually wanted to get your budget in order and said the cops have to take the hit just like every department because there's no tax revenue in New York for the last four months, I get it. No, but this is retribution. This is punitive. This is a lesson. This is a big thumbs up to every would-be criminal. Chaos is going to reign. And I don't blame the cops for sitting back. one 408 Larry Logan next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm somewhat surprised that... Uh, uh, the New York Times ran with that story. Uh, the president was not briefed because at the time uh, of, the, uh, of these allegations, uh, they were uncorroborated. Sadly, because of the leak, it may now become impossible ever to get to the bottom of it, to get to the truth of, of the matter. And, and that's one of the very, very sad things. Uh, we were working very hard on this matter. It may be impossible to get to the bottom of it because someone decided to leak to hurt the president rather than uphold their obligations to the American people uh, that they undertook when they became an intelligence officer. Uh, just real quick, uh, Larry Logan joins us now, one of the finest reporters in the country, host of Larry Logan Has No Agenda, great series on Fox Nation. Laura, welcome back. Thank you so much, Brian. Robert O'Brien on Fox and Friends an hour ago said he's surprised about the Afghanistan story being front page news in the Washington Post, New York Times, saying that the president uh, was in his daily brief, they claim, uh, that the Russians were paying the Taliban to kill our guys. What strikes you about this story? The thing that strikes me most um, is is the fact that it's all over the place, that it's like the biggest story ever, because it has echoes of, once again, to me, in my professional opinion as a journalist, it has echoes of re- repeating the Russian narrative, the Russia collusion hoax, without actually saying it that the president did nothing about it because Russia and Putin are his ally. And it's, see, it's true. He was colluding with Russia. It's just, um, it's pretty stunning to me that, um, that, that journalists, in spite of the fact that there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever after all these years that this ever happened, they're still pushing the idea. They're still pushing the narrative in spite of all the facts and in spite of the truth. And I just, um, I really find it extraordinary because there's, you know, Pakistan has had bounties on the heads of American soldiers. The Taliban has had bounties many times. Um, This is, this kind of thing is not new. 
And this constant implication, this is, to me, this is going after um, all the people who say that Trump is a patriot or Trump supports the military. This is proof that, you know, proof in inverted commas that you see Trump says he supports the military, but look, he doesn't really because he didn't do anything about this. And it's laughable to me, I got to be honest. And to be honest, Larry, how many times have you been to Afghanistan? Oh, I've spent years there. I was there, um, right? uh, I was there with the Afghan soldiers when they took Kabul back um, from uh, the Taliban. And and it's so funny because all these um, reporters and media organizations who suddenly care so much about Afghanistan, they don't care about getting the most basic facts straight. The Afghans will tell you their country was never invaded by the U.S. You cannot invade with airplanes and 200 or so clandestine um, operatives, right? Green Berets. Actually, the Afghans did the fighting. They see this as uh, their war, and they don't um, they don't call it an invasion unless there's the Taliban. Um, so every time you see a media organization calling it an invasion of Afghanistan, um, you're reinforcing the Taliban's propaganda for them, and you're not getting your facts straight. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, but when you find out our guys are being targeted for assassination, I say, okay, is it the Iranians? Is it the Pakistanis? The Uzbeks? Is it ISIS? Is it Al Qaeda? Uh, tell yeah. me when it gets. Tell me when you have new news. The Taliban don't need incentive to try to kill our guys. That's what they're on the planet to do. You're so right, Brian. Don't you love that? Like it's news that the Taliban is trying to kill Americans. Oh no, wait. This is the same Taliban that you you guys are saying uh, are good Taliban, right? That you're that you're falling over yourselves. All of these people in the last administration and in this one who are um, who, who are lining up to try to convince the American people that we need to make a peace deal because uh, these people, you know, there's really nothing that wrong with them. They just want the invaders to go home. That's the narrative that we've been pushed in spite of the facts. They don't care um, about the truth. They don't care about the people of Afghanistan. They don't care about the troops that have died there. Um, Because if they did, they would not be, for example, the New York Times would not um, be putting publishing editorials with um, Haqqani, the head of the Haqqani network, who, which is basically the Afghan al-Qaeda, which has been responsible for the deaths of I don't know how many thousands upon thousands of Afghans and Afghan soldiers even more, and U.S. soldiers, and publish an editorial, allow this person to have a voice without even putting in there um, how many Americans that they've killed? I mean, what kind of um, media organization does that? If you're going to allow, I mean, that's that's literally for Afghans, like allowing Osama bin Laden to have uh, to write an editorial in your newspaper without saying that um, he was responsible for 9/11. And and these people are going to stand up in in uh, moral outrage at this point. I mean, it's it's uh, to me, it's just a farce. I hear you, and the thing, I, 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 you know, and I'm up. Personally, uh, Laura, and I let Robert O'Brien know, and I think it's a huge mistake to take our entire presence out of Afghanistan. We're not fighting on a daily basis. We're training, and the surveillance and intelligence that we get has been invaluable to our men and women and to our country. I think it's a huge mistake. We are essentially getting a a clear idea of what's going to happen. China's going to come in and and work out some China-centric deal to take the minerals from Afghanistan, and Russia's going to have more influence along with the Iranians. Why is that okay? Well, Brian, it's, you know, it's not just that. You're not wrong, but at the same time, the question, the big elephant in the room that everybody's avoiding talking about 
is it has never changed. We went to the United States. If you go back to uh, the original reason we went into Afghanistan was to uh, destroy Al-Qaeda so that they would never be capable of carrying out a similar attack to 9-11 ever again or threatening the United States in the same way. And the reality is that single goal has never been achieved. And um, one administration after another has lied about it. And the biggest lies began uh, during the last administration, where they wanted to convince the world that al-Qaeda was no longer a threat and therefore, and also no longer existed. And they created this false thing called core al-Qaeda, which is just a, an absolutely, uh, it's a fairy tale. There is no such thing as core al-Qaeda in terms of geography, where if you belong to this, you know, al-Qaeda in, in this part of the world, you're you're not core al-Qaeda. And if you're al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, you're at the core. No, the, the number two uh, of al-Qaeda that was killed, Amal al-Wahishi, was killed in Afghanistan. Uh, not killed in Afghanistan. He was killed in Yemen. He was the director of external operations, one of the most important positions in al-Qaeda, which was exporting the ideology of al-Qaeda globally, all over the world. And, uh, and this is... You know, the the problem for the U.S. in removing all of these troops from Afghanistan is um, lies in the fact that the, the central goal has never been achieved. And all of the countries that you mentioned, whether it's Iran or it's uh, China or it's Russia, they have a willing uh, partner and ally in uh, those people in al-Qaeda and others who seek to destroy the United States. And the other thing that is especially pertinent right now to me, in my experience, that also nobody's talking about, is that from the day um, President Trump won the election in 2016, there has been, um, an, on a scale that none of us have witnessed in our lifetime, there have been Americans who have sought to undermine this president and this country to the point where all of those nations are all, have seen an opportunity and see an opportunity now with the election coming up and, uh, and the pandemic um, to an opportunity to exploit the weakness within America caused by the fact that Americans are betraying their own country and are undermining their own president. And, um, and this, they see, I have, I have heard from leaders in that region who have said to me that they have never in their lifetimes seen the United States as weak and as vulnerable as it is now because uh, they believe, that they've actually asked me, is this the end of the United States? Is this going to fall? And even Afghans who felt betrayed by the U.S., who were upset by these policies, by the peace deal with the Taliban. Did you see that, you know, more than 900 Afghan soldiers were killed and wounded in the period of uh, just over a week? I mean, that's since the peace deal, that there were uh, militants that stormed a maternity hospital and killed new uh, mothers in their beds and also newborn babies. And we continue to insist that these people are capable of carrying out a peace deal and mean what they're saying. And these people said oh, they were angry with the U.S. And they've since said, wow, what is happening with the United States? Because if the U.S. falls, if democracy is no longer in the U.S., then democracy is no longer anywhere in the world. This beacon of light for the world um, that, has, that has guided all of us to a place where, you know, people fight for equality and for freedom and for equal rights and for justice. Um, this light is being dimmed. I mean, it looks, it looks weaker and more vulnerable than it ever has. 
and we're arguing about whether or not there's the, the Russians have a bounty on American heads and Taliban are trying to kill the U.S. I mean, give me a break. I hear you, Laura. And, you know, I was going to talk all foreign policy with you, but I also saw you tweeted out this Swiss study about COVID-19. What do you think is so important to take away from the Swiss study? For me, it's how the lethality stands out. That's, you know, that's the same thing that stood out to me. Um, uh, I agree with you, Brian, because at the end of the day, when you're talking about forcing people to wear masks, and I traveled recently um, for the first time since the pandemic, and I went on a whole bunch of flights over a period of two weeks, and I could not believe the impact of nobody communicating with each other, people reluctant to talk to each other. You can't hear each other. And and so and it's exhausting trying to talk through that mask and over the you know the engine of an airplane and this is just a small example of how isolated we are from each other at this point. We're geographically isolated. We're we're encouraged not to travel. We are physically isolated from each other because we're told to stay you know six feet apart. We're um, more isolated because we don't want to talk or communicate. And you know one of the big ways that you breach the divide between people or the perceived divide, even when there isn't one, is you look in someone's eyes and you smile. I know. And look how that changes everything. And and I was just talking to some doctors as well, because this issue of how lethal it is sort of t- makes you wonder, why do we have the extreme nature of the response? Not that nobody's dying, not that it's not real, not that it's not very serious. I mean, not any of those things. But I was at the height of the Ebola epidemic in Liberia, where you had almost 100% chance of dying. Talk about the lethality of that virus was almost 100%. And this, the lethality of this virus, according to that study, you know, less um, than a fraction of 1%. And yet they want to not have a real election in, in, the, in the sense of the one that we've known, to not have rallies, to not have people vote in person, to not have businesses reopen, to not have people go and, and uh, socialize and, and go to big events. And they're talking about a digital passport now, where a digital health passport already adopted in 15 countries in the world, where you can be scanned and they can have access to, you know, all kinds of information about you and people acquiescing to this. So even when you have a passport, it'll be useless if you don't sign up for a digital passport. And there's going to be, you know, lists of people who will be banned from events or stores or countries um, if they deem that you haven't had the vaccine or, uh, you know, uh, depending on whatever arbitrary health rules that they want to put in place. I mean, to me, it's um, it's very disturbing. It raises big questions because if you had a 90 percent chance of dying from this, then, then no one would be having a conversation like the one we're having now. Everyone would say, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. But it doesn't because you have a more than 99% chance of surviving it if you're not in an especially vulnerable population. And there is plenty of action that can be taken. But to have people out on the streets protesting en masse in literally the, the thousands and nobody says a word about the virus to say, oh, no, well, all of the protests were Laura, that sticks out with me. I mean, they think we're idiots. They think that we're going to blame beachgoers and not protesters. I saw a story for some obscure economic council that said studies show protests did not lead to more coronavirus cases. Really? Over 300 cities were riddled with protesters, but nobody spread coronavirus. Are you nuts? You know, Brian, I want to just remind you, do you remember you, you and I spoke some time ago and I talked about General Stanley McChrystal and the McChrystal Group teaming up 
with a Democratic super PAC to do what? To counter, in their own words, to counter the president's so-called messaging on the pandemic. So not what he says and does, but, you know, in their terms, everything he says and does is propaganda. And how they had, they said that they were using artificial intelligence to identify the most effective counter-narratives and that they had a network of 3.4 million social influences and famous people, and um, and that they were employing all of these resources against the president, that they were advising state governments, that there were a network of health charities that were paying them a crystal group to come in and do this. And I, I'm reminding people because I, I cannot state to me how shocking it is. If you talk to professionals in the intelligence community, if you talk to professionals who know how powerful these weapons of information warfare are that when then then when you see taylor swift and all of these others with tens of millions of followers online suddenly lining up to talk about the pandemic and all these businesses that are rushing forward to act um this is the impact of that policy in motion this is what you're looking at the tools of information warfare being used against the american people the same way it would be if you turned a tank and fired it on your own and it's no coincidence that this is all happening with the pandemic and the election and everything is tied together this is by design you know it's going to be proof you know it's going to be proof if trump loses you watch how the narrative turns on november 10th december 10th january 10th you watch how this suddenly gets under control Well, the proof is already there, because when Joe Biden suddenly stands up and says, uh, we're worried that Trump's not going to leave office, what is that based on? That's called setting the conditions so that, for example, if there's voter fraud and Trump and challenges the election results because there's fraud with all these mail-in ballots, everybody's already talking about it. And they say, wait a minute, we want to get to the bottom of this fraud. They're going to say, you see, we told you he wasn't going to leave office. If, for example, these states who voted to give their electoral college votes, not to who wins in their state, but to the popular vote winner nationwide, if they say, okay, we're giving our votes and look, the Bidens won the election and, and, and the GOP at, at, and Trump at that point say, wait a minute, that's not constitutional. They're going to say, you see, we told you he wasn't going to leave office. Wow. We told Laura, you that. We warned you. We gotta, I have to have you in for an hour. I know I'm not allowed to have in-studio guests. You have so much to say and such great insight. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. I love chatting to you. Same here. And check out our Fox Nation series. It's fantastic. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How long do you think Seattle in those few blocks looks like this? I don't know. We could have the summer of love. Well, tell that to the police who was supposed to be in that precinct. And after a few deaths and a lot of shootings and the abandonment of a black leadership in Seattle, now we understand as we start this show, Mayor Durkin issued a proclamation of civil emergency to break up the summer of love. And the lawmaker that started it, they should have, she should have known. 
You cannot be nice to people that want to break the law and take a police precinct. You don't de-escalate by having your police abandon seven blocks in the heart of a city. You're abandoning the, the store owners there. You're abandoning citizenship. You're also abandoning, uh, abandoning your obligation to peace and security. And now, what you get for your help, a refusal to leave, and now the cops are going in. Now, what police officer is going to say to their wife or, or their husband, oh, guess what I'm doing today? Those people that kicked me out, uh, the ones who humiliated us, now i got to go back and kick them out. I would tell them, you go kick them out, Mayor. Go tell them how much you love them. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Happy to be with you. Uh, my privilege to be uh, here in New York City, heard around the country. But again, like we were the epicenter of the virus when it took root, so are we in the defund police movement, sadly. And we have to get to that. Jonathan Swan at the bottom of the hour on President Trump's fortunes, what's really going on inside the White House in the West Wing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think a lot of people have been focusing on the virus, which is very bad, but not focusing enough on the downsides of some of the reactions to the virus. The hospital directors say the cases are much less acute, requiring much less intervention than what they saw back in April and so on. Molly Hemingway weighing in on the coronavirus, uh, racing through the country. Cases are up 80 percent in two weeks. 500,000 testing a day. Impressive. Harvard said, I need a million. Why are they always upping that? Good news is deaths are flat. Number two. I'm happy to take questions if you have them. I wonder where do you think the race stands at this moment? What keeps you up at night? If elected, how are you going to get Americans on the same page? Senator Obama, are you comfortable? Is there anything we can get for you? (laughs) Uh, Sound familiar? Those first questions, like the questions we heard to lead up to 2008 with President Obama. Biden uh, breaks out of the basement, makes a generic speech and takes the softest questions since President Obama left the White House. The difference in tone with Trump is striking. We'll share. Number one. I am proud of the changes that we secured. I do wish we had done more to cut the NYPD. This is the beginning. We are going to reimagine policing in New York City, and we're not going to stop until we get there. Yeah, I'm sure you will. New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, defunding and diminishing. The police went from theory to reality Tuesday in New York City. One billion is now out of the NYPD budget as millions leave the LAPD, too. Not enough for AOC, though. While at this hour, Seattle police move in to take out CHOP. Meanwhile, a couple who took up arms because the police were not coming in St. Louis to protect themselves find themselves under fire. So, uh, as I mentioned, a billion dollars cut out. It looks like they're not going to have a new academy class. They're cutting everything from crossing guards to delay of de- de- delay delivering of uh, fleet vehicles. And we know what they did, the 600-man anti-crime force. Uh, they disbanded it, spread it out, and told people to retire. One person who finds this abhorrent, I imagine, is the former NYPD commissioner himself and police commissioner, Howard Safer. Commissioner, how distressed are you about this news? It is very distressing. It it is a perfect storm 
for criminals. What's happening to the NYPD now, it is being made, being made so impotent because of this lack of funding and more importantly, because of the leadership of the mayor who does not support them and wants them to be social workers instead of policemen. Do you know, did you see what happened with the LAPD? This is stunning. The LA City Council said they took the first step to replace the LAPD. A top council member uh, announced that local lawmakers have approved the first step in a plan to replace police with unarmed first responders to handle nonviolent service calls. What is a nonviolent service call? I have no idea. The fact is that all service calls have potential for violence. If you look at the number one call that ends up with police and other people getting hurt, it's domestic violence. And one doesn't know what a domestic violence uh, call looks like until they get there. So, you know, this whole thing is we are listening to the loudest voices instead of the majority of people in this country who want good, professional, fair law enforcement. We're listening to Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And what we're doing is we are destroying what has happened over the last 20 years, which is we have reduced crime. We have made criminals worry about getting arrested. And what you're seeing now, especially in New York and L.A. and Seattle and Chicago, is criminals are not afraid of the police. They know, one, uh, unless they're in the act right in front of a policeman, they're not going to get arrested. Then if they do get arrested, uh, the bail laws that have been uh, passed – puts them right back on the street to do whatever they were doing before. Uh, It is a very sad time for our country, and we really need to start listening to the majority of people in this country, not to the loudest people in this country. What makes you think this uh, this city hasn't changed to the point where people do are tired of the police? Uh, They do do want uh, this uh, police reimagined. What makes you think that you're right? Well, I know because I've, I've talked to lots of citizens. I've talked to lots of people around the country. And I remember when I was police commissioner, I did 76 town hall meetings in various communities throughout the city. And nobody ever asked me for less police. They always asked me for more police and police who would keep them safe. I mean, you mentioned or somebody mentioned in the intro here, this couple in St. Louis. I did. How sad is it that we have normal citizens being attacked in their homes and having to resort to weapons. And it was clear to me that they didn't even know how to handle them. But they were so scared that this group was going to come in and destroy their home and maybe kill them. Uh, That is something we really need to be concerned about because it's not going to just happen in St. Louis. It's got the potential to happen all over the country. So they broke down his iron gate. So he grabbed a gun, so did his wife. He's a defense attorney. He knows the law, and it was legally registered. Both guns were. Here's Mark McCloskey last night with Tucker, cut 14. I see all these people outside the gate, and then the gate bursts open. People start coming in, and then a flood of people start coming in. They're angry. They're screaming. They've got spittle coming out of their mouth. When I saw that mob come through the gate with their rage and their, and their anger, I thought that we would be overrun in a second. By the time I was out there with my rifle... The people were 20 or 30 feet from my front wall. I've got a low wall that separates the house from, from my front yard. And so I was, I was literally afraid that within seconds they would surmount the wall, come into the house, kill us, burn the house down, and everything that I'd worked for and struggled for for the last 32 years. And I did what I thought I had to do to protect my hearth, my home, and my family. So 
Howard, this seems it seems perfectly logical, but these but the Missouri Attorney General is looking into putting charges against this these, this couple. That's outrageous. Uh, I don't know if uh, the Attorney General uh, is looking at the castle law in that state, or if there is a castle law. What is that? But certainly, you should have the right to pr- protect your property and your family. Uh, there is nothing that has happened in the last uh, number of weeks that I find scarier than thinking about these hordes coming over fences and breaking down doors of innocent people. And when that happens, you're not going to call the defunded police because there won't be anybody there to help you. So listen to this uh, St. Louis Circuit attorney, Kimberly Gardner, cut 13. I am disturbed by the events that occurred over this weekend where there were peaceful protesters who were met with guns and a violent assault. We must protect the rights to peacefully protest, and any attempts to chill it through intimidation or use of force will not be tolerated. Since learning of these events over this weekend, I've worked with the public and the police to investigate these tragic events. I will use every extent of Missouri law to hold individuals accountable. Do you believe this? I mean, what is she, what, what I don't believe it. She she's to? outrageous, and what she's saying is just not true. There was nothing peaceful about a protest that breaks down an iron gate and storms somebody's house. What this is going to do, it is going to, number one, it's going to increase the sale of guns to private citizens even more than it is now, which it's greatly increased. And it's going to create a divide. It's going to create more racism rather than less racism. You know, you cannot have angry, unlawful rioters going to people's homes and allowing them to do it with impunity. This is chaos. You know, this I I keep thinking of the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, where people were executed and dragged from their homes uh, for their ethnicity or their beliefs. Uh, That's what these people are trying to do. And it needs to be changed. We need to take a stand and we need to take a stand now, because the more we give up precincts and the more we give up uh, blocks to these protesters, the more it's going to happen and encourage them. And it's not. And I'm not talking about the thousands of young college students and uh, idealists from high schools who are in, the, in these crowds. They're being used by the core of Antifa and Black Lives Matter to create chaos. Uh, it, very few. I mean, I see less and less black people in these protests and more uh, 20-something uh, white people who reportedly are getting paid, some people are saying, to do all this. But they're not, certainly not working. And before I t- bring you to the breaking news, which is Seattle, they're breaking up that chop zone. Corey Johnson yeah. weighed in. He's the speaker. If you are upset about the billion dollars being cut out of the budget, listen to this guy. Cut one. I am proud of the changes that we secured, especially given the challenges we faced, given the $9 billion revenue shortfall. I do wish we had done more to cut mm-hmm. the NYPD. But I also know this fight is not finished. This is the beginning. We are going to reimagine policing in New York City. And we're not going to stop until we get there. It's an all-democratic city. Uh, They might not. I mean, he might be right. Well, he might be right, but here's what the consequences are going to be. With this reduction of a billion dollars, response time is going to go up because you're going to have fewer cops and fewer overtime. The reduction of the anti-crime units is something that's really troubling, because when you think about policing, anti-crime and plainclothes officers prevent crime. 
that when they see a potential crime taking place or guns or drugs, they get it off the street. When uniformed cops are a little bit of a deterrent, but when they react, it's because the crime has already been committed. That's called a failure. So reducing anti-crime, reducing response time, relegating them to old vehicles, doing away with the class, which will reduce the number of cops because cops are retiring in New York City at record numbers, is going to make New York a very, very dangerous place again. I, I remember uh, during the Dinkins administration, uh, late Senator Moynihan looked at New York under Dinkins and said it's defining deviancy down. And I hate to think that we're headed in that same direction. So we know the despicable scene in Seattle as the city gave up seven blocks because of a crazy lawmaker and a very liberal mayor. And then they said to defuse the situation, they told the cops to leave the precinct in the area. So they created a seven-block zone free of police. They had their own government. They knocked it down to four. And moments ago, they've just cleared it out after multiple shootings and, and deaths. Here is the police chief, Carmen Best. Enough is enough. Our job is to protect and to serve the community. Our job is to support peaceful demonstrations. But what has happened here on these streets over the last two weeks, few weeks that is, is lawless and it's brutal. And bottom line, it is simply unacceptable. But she didn't do anything. Is she? Tell me what it's like being a police commissioner if you're not empowered by the mayor. If you're not empowered by the mayor, you might as well not be there. Uh, one of the things that I never had to do when I was p- police commissioner was look behind me when taking effective action to protect the public. What they did in Seattle is they ceded that six blocks to violent protesters and rioters and criminals. And what they also did is they left 30,000 good citizens who live in that six-block area to fend for themselves and to have to stay in their houses for fear of being assaulted or killed or robbed. You know, she's saying it, it's enough is enough. Well, enough is enough should have been the first time somebody broke a window or tried to get into that precinct rather than surrendering and telling all the cops to leave. In New York, there's an Occupy Zone now. The mayor almost embraced it, recommended it. They were spray painting the police cameras last night. They certainly aren't social distancing. Commissioner, how's Dermot Shea doing as police commissioner? Well, I, you know, I, I know Dermot. He's a good guy, but I feel, feel for him because apparently he's being totally directed by the mayor oh. on what to do and what not to do. And the what not to do is not to enforce the law and to not to make sure that people are safe. New York is absolutely going in a terrible direction. And I, I know, having spoken to uh, Ray Kelly uh, and others about what we did in the past, making New York the safest large city in America, it's breaking our hearts because I drove up the other day along Madison Avenue, st- storefronts boarded up, covered yep. with graffiti. Yep. The subway trains are starting to look like they did uh, back in the, the early 90s. It's really very sad, and people are leaving New York, in not in hundreds, in thousands. Uh, Commissioner, I wore you out with all this breaking news. Thanks so much for hanging in with us. Good to be with you, Brian. Uh, Please, Commissioner Howard Safer. We'd be so much better off if he was back in control and we had a mayor that cared about the city. Uh, Jonathan Swan is coming up at the bottom of the hour. Good news for you is you're next, one 408 7669 
Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It is kind of interesting that the second some of that activism comes into their neighborhoods, all of a sudden, oh, we've got to have an investigation. Meanwhile, a 16-year-old kid was essentially murdered by the group of 20-something losers who are dressing up in a dangerous game of security, playing security down at CHOP. And presumably, by the way, if the security members, security, uh, engaged in this from the Antifa-style groups, most likely were white. So it was uh, potentially some white pretend security guard killing a 16-year-old black kid. Uh, that is Jason Rance talking about the murder the other night that happened inside that uh, autonomous zone that's been a disaster for the country, for Seattle, an embarrassment, and really destroyed businesses who are heading for the hills. And I hope destroyed the career of this mayor and the governor. It just shows they took no leadership. They took no initiative, excuse me, check that, they took an initiative to let the rioters take the precinct, to defuse it. Ryan, listen, WABC in Pearl River, New York. Ryan. Okay, uh, Brian, uh, first, something that's never been mentioned before. New York City is still here today because of the tough kids of the 1960s and 1970s who protected the neighborhoods or there'd be no New York City. And the hard left gets what it wants. Trillions have been spent on social welfare programs, race quotas. Criminals have been released as a reward. The criminals were their warriors in the street. The goal is to make you uncomfortable in your country and ultimately to make you a foreigner in your country. Now, when looting, arsonists, rioters can change laws, folks, change your way of life, then we live in a third world country. And the line that people are really not bad, they're just getting bad information. If you believe this, you are as naive as the day is long. Thanks, Ryan. Ed, WOKV, Jacksonville, Florida. Ed. How you doing, Brian? Hey, I just got an idea. Uh, I'm so fed up. I'm a retired military commander, uh, and I want to start an organization. I need your help called Stand Up for America. Everybody from 9 to 19, and it's a show of force, just like the Navy does with their carriers. Once they see everybody's together, they back down. Okay? And I've tried to get a hold of the Moose, the VFW, Knights of Columbus, and we have a, a big Independence Day celebration coming up on television. We need to get a hold of those guys and have them tell everybody. And when we get people together, we get families together, and we send them out like God in the Bible said, two by two, so nobody gets hurt. And we for a year, everybody wears red, red, white, and blue, and they all volunteers. They're not paid like Black Lives Matter. Or yeah, Antifa. I mean, I know for sure uh, Jacksonville is a very patriotic area. I think people have to go out of their way this Fourth of July to show how grateful we all feel to be in this country, despite what we're seeing that's getting all the attention. We don't feel that way. I know you don't feel that way. It's time to show it. We come back. Jonathan Twan joins us. Bring us in, bring us inside. Donald Trump's quest for four more years and what's at stake if he doesn't get it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Remember, back in March, when I called, and he called, we talked about the need to act like we were at war with the virus. He called himself a wartime president. Remember when he extorted, exhorted the nation to sacrifice together and, quote, in the face of this inevitable and invisible enemy. What happened? Now it's almost July, and it seems like our wartime president has surrendered, waved the right flag, white flag, and left the battlefield. Right. So that's what Joe Biden's going to say, that, that the president's losing to a pandemic. He opens himself up to the way he handled the swine flu. He opens himself up uh, to him saying that when the president shut down fights to China, he was being xenophobic. He also opens himself up to, he says, I knew this was going to be bad. I've been doing this before. Well, he had a regular campaign schedule all set up. So if he knew we were about to hit a pandemic, why did he have his uh, March and April campaign schedule uh, public? Jonathan Swan's with Axios, and you also watch him Axios on HBO. Jonathan, welcome back. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you you wrote a, a few very telling columns. You got great contacts with the administration. They really respect you. Uh, you believe there's a degree of panic within the administration, which led to the shakeup that we saw last night. Yeah, I, I, look, I never like to use the word panic, but uh, it, it sort of feels appropriate right now. Um, I would say that um, more than at any point I've observed in the last three and a half years since um, President Trump took office, uh, that his advisors are sounding the alarms about his re-election prospects. And they're very concerned because really three things have happened. Number one, um, they were hoping for a rocket fuel economic comeback, just an absolute soaring V-shaped recovery. And we got really good news with the jobs report. But with these outbreaks that we're seeing in certain states across the country uh, of, of COVID, it, it, that does put a dampener on, on the recovery. That's not to say there won't be a recovery. There, there will. Uh, it's just not likely to be as, uh, as accelerated as they were hoping for. So that's a really unfortunate exogenous event for the president um, that, that is not helpful for him. Obviously, he's not doing well in the polls. He's, he's, he's come outside of his normal fixed range. He's, he's fallen out of the, the bottoms, basically dropped out, and they're suffering with independent voters, doing really badly with women. Biden's managed to basically avoid media, keep his media profile very, very low and keep this as a sort of referendum on President Trump. And then there's also a level of exasperation among some of his, the president's advisors about some of his tweets uh, that that they believe are self-inflicted damage. So th- all of those things are combining to to make it a pretty low moment right now for the campaign. So so I you know I think you're right in everything you wrote. I think you're right, and your sources seem correct because it doesn't seem personal. It seems logical. You could say I don't like this poll. I don't like Reuters. I, I don't like Siena poll. But they all say the same thing. And until you right. can get close enough to Biden to force him to play the ball, essentially get out of the basement, he's just going to float to the uh, float to the debates. And what you got to do to me, the football analogy is apt here. A team's going to run the ball until you get close and they have to come from behind and put the ball in the air, which gives them a chance of making more mistakes. And when you open up your offense right now, there's no reason 
for Joe Biden to open up the offense. I was struck by the compliant questions that he got yesterday uh, from the masses. I mean, no one asked about Michael Flynn. No one asked him about uh, no one asked him about defunding police. Are you for the billion dollars out of the NYPD? What would you do with the chop zone? Now we know the chop zone's being broken up as we speak, but he's pretty much got uh, what I think is a, a free pass. And in fact, Ari Fleischer even uh, tweeted about it, and he knows a few things about uh, hostile questions. Mm. He actually uh, tweeted this out. He said, the difference between the tenor of the questions to Biden compared to the questions asked of Trump is striking. After eight years of going easy on Obama, almost four years of being brutal to Trump, the mainstream media seems happy to go easy again. Will that last, Jonathan? I hope not, because it, I think it's uh, important that people who are running for president are aggressively vetted and that there's aggressive coverage of them. And I don't disagree with anything uh, that you just said. It was it was gentle questioning. Um, and, you know, even with Biden, it, it's also the follow-ups. It, it's, you know, he sort of gave this quite messy answer about, you know, some statues are OK to keep up, but some aren't. And it's better if you do it through the government. But I understand if you don't. And, and, and really required a sort of a very clear question, just saying, OK, just to be clear, are you saying that you support the pulling down of a statue um, on the street without any kind of process? Are you saying that you're OK with that? Like, it's just pinning him on those positions and actually making him you know, really declare what he's for and, and what he's against. And um, hopefully next time uh, that happens. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm not confident. Here is, uh, here's what Mick Mulvaney told me yesterday. You said the president did not do a good job hiring. Yeah, I, I think, listen, I, I think the, the facts bear that out. I mean, uh, Jeff Sessions was not a good hire. Rex Tillerson was not a good hire. Uh, yeah. Mattis was not a good hire. John Kelly was a good hire at DHS, but a bad hire at chief of staff. Um, I think the president um, thought he would like folks like generals a lot more than he did. Um, I think that he thought they would be more willing to sort of to go along with his freewheeling style. The president does not run a, a, a militaristic structure in his operation. That's not the kind of guy he is. And he went on to, to say this. I think Chris's, I think Governor Christie's criticism there is, is accurate. I would, uh, I, I disagree subtly on one component of it when he said that people are moving to Joe Biden. I don't think that's true. I think they're moving away from Donald Trump. And those, that, that's an important distinction. Um, that I don't think Biden is doing much of anything. I think what you're seeing in the national polls, which Chris is right, they're not, they're not that important, but they do show general trends. Um, if the folks are, are voicing their displeasure with the way the president has, uh, has uh, handled um, COVID and the Black Lives Matter uh, riots and, and, and uprisings in the last couple of weeks. What's your thought? Yeah, I, I think the polling bears out that analysis. I mean, when you look at the enthusiasm between the two candidates, people aren't overly enthusiastic about Joe Biden. There isn't uh, a fervor for him that there is for Donald Trump. By the same token, and this is the, one of the large problems that the Trump campaign is having, people don't really hate Joe Biden. When you look at the very negative numbers he's got, they're in the 20s. Hillary Clinton was up in the 40s. And that visceral dislike 
that that so many voters felt for Hillary Clinton, they just don't they just don't feel that for Joe Biden. At least the polls show that right now. So one of the challenges the campaign has is to engineer that between now and November, because right now it's a referendum on Donald Trump and Donald Trump. People either love him or hate him. And at the moment, more people hate him than love him. And and, and they've really got to make sure that they can drive up Joe Biden's negatives uh, in a hurry. They're running out of time. There's not that much time. These months pass very, very quickly, especially when it's not a real campaign. And when Biden, as you say, can sort of bob under the surface and sort of float towards November. I agree. And the thing is, inside his campaign, they made some changes, not some big names. If you really want to get the band back together, you put Kellyanne Conway and put her in the campaign. You bring back Steve Bannon, Dave Bossie, and yes, Corey Lewandowski. The people that know him understand him, understand uh, the president's pluses and minuses. Just get it. But that, that's not happening. The word is Jared's making almost all the decisions, as well as Brad Parscale. As Ed Rollins said, Parscale, Brad Parscale, although impressive in social media, has no experience running a campaign. Well, it's, it's certainly true that, Jared, um, nobody has more influence over the operation of both the White House and uh, the campaign um, than Jared Kushner. I also do think, though, that President Trump is increasingly taking his own advice and he's following his own instincts. And I expect you're going to see him move away from this sort of um, some of the Kushner type of advice, you know, to go towards police reform and things of that nature. I think he's going in the opposite direction. I think Trump is going back to what he instinctively believes and, you know, ride or die on that. I don't think you're going to see him move in that direction that uh, concerns some of his conservative allies. So I talked to uh, somebody uh, last night who knows President Trump as well as anyone. And he says he's got to do five things. Number one, convene a group that under that could break up and report back to you by September 1st, not just your friends, but members or esteemed members of the black community, diverse. They could look into problems that may or may not exist, endemic in, with racial, uh, a racial unrest in the country or uh, racial justice in the country. Then go out and get these consortiums together, the Northeast, the Northwest, about the pandemic. Find out what they need, but go to them. Show an empathy. And go to Florida and show an empathy. And uh, don't do something that's not Donald Trump, because Donald Trump, as you know, he's a good guy. He asks about other people. He cares about other people. He does not talk about himself. But when he's on stage, that's all he does. So if you could go out there and let him interact and get a jobs panel together. they get we have, uh, We're double-digit unemployment still. Well, what are we going to do in this current situation to get people back to work? Let's hear from the biggest and best and those in business looking to get this thing back on track, but meeting regularly. And then you take on China and you say you got a certain amount of time to tell us, give us full access to where this virus started, as well as all the material and information and results that you have. And if not, you start immediately organizing the world against them massively. So you show international you show compassion, and you show a person of action. The ball is yours. It doesn't even matter if you do those things which Joe Biden does. So I think he'll end up doing most of what your friend just outlined. I think the one part of it which he doesn't instinctively think works or works for him is introspection on racial matters. I just think he is 
he has decided very clearly that he wants to be seen as unapologetically siding with law enforcement and doesn't want to do anything that could be seen as expressing sympathy for Black Lives Matter protesters. What about um, George Floyd? So I think. What about mentioning well, George Floyd? Well, he has Floyd. for George Floyd. He has for George Floyd very clearly. I'm just saying where he's heading directionally as this movement that's grown out of this this incident. Um, uh, so that's where I'm, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the, the George Floyd specifically. So what about these changes up top? Uh, what could you tell us about uh, Dewitt? Who you say is a uh, co- uh, he's Jared a Kushner? Dewitt um, worked on the 2016 campaign. He's he's very close with Jared Kushner. Kushner um, is bringing him in as the chief operating officer. He's going to be a pretty powerful figure in the campaign. He's going to be overseeing the budget and the spending, um, and also he's going to have a role in the rallies. Um, as you know, uh, the the Tulsa Oklahoma rally was a debacle, and the president was very unhappy with what happened. Uh, the, the crowd was not what was anticipated. And I think, that, well, I, not, not that I think, I know because I've done the reporting, that um, there's a recognition in the campaign that rallies are not the simple thing that they were in the good old days where, you know, go and do a rally, it's fine. You know, they, they had a formula, it was working, they had these amazing rallies. In the age of COVID, it's a terribly complex thing to put on a political rally. You've got health considerations, you've got legal considerations, you've got local governmental considerations. It's it's a whole new deal. So they're going to have a larger team arranging these rallies. And I I know that they're trying to rethink how, how they do them because it, it's a very challenging thing. And I, I know that they realised after that rally that many more of their supporters than they anticipated, particularly some of their elderly supporters, were concerned about being jammed into an indoor arena, um, you know, where you can't do social distancing and, and let's face it, most people in there were not wearing masks. So there's a lot to, um, there's a lot to figure out. There is. Uh, Jonathan, do you think this is good? Do you think this is going to be a close race? I think every election always comes back to being a close race in, the, in these, these days, unless there's just some egregious, uh, look, Anything is possible between now and November, but I think it's much more likely that the country reverts back to its partisan lines and, you know, we have pretty close to a 50-50 country going into the election than it is uh, some kind of Reagan-Mondale blowout. I just don't see that structurally uh, happening. Um, So I, I think it will be a close election, and I also think it's terribly foolish for people to start writing Donald Trump's obituary um, in June and July, <laughs> I know. Uh, I think that's a terribly foolish thing, and I think that you know it, it, it betrays a lack of humility and a lack of uh, sort of memory, frankly, of, of 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 the calamity that you know befell us in 2016. The whole prognostication industry uh, humiliated itself, and I just think we should have a little humility and a little caution before we start uh, writing Donald Trump's obituary. Absolutely. And you've been extremely fair along the way, which means uh, you're the person to watch and you have the columns to read. Jonathan Swan, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, When we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want to move along with uh, Jonathan Swan of Axios. I apologize for that. Jim, WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Jim. Hey, Brian. Love the show. Love Thank the show. you. Listen, Brian, what we witnessed yesterday with Joe Biden and the press is what's going to be going on with the debates. Everybody's worried about you know trying to get Joe Biden to debate, debate. Donald Trump won't be debating Joe Biden. Donald Trump will be debating the moderators. The moderators will ask Joe Biden how many feet he has. If he gets it right, he'll say two. The moderators will then ask Donald Trump, being that you are known to be a white supremacist and uh, agree with racial divide, you know, how, why should we vote for you? And then they'll interrupt him and they'll debate back and maybe, forth. And uh, maybe. I, I think that they'll, they'll give him a level playing field. What I worry about is they've lowered the expectations so low for Joe Biden. If he if the president doesn't get a complete first round Mike Tyson 1980s knockout, they're going to say Biden won. Uh, right, but, I agree with that. Right, and but I think a guy like Chris Wallace knows how to make it even. Vic, listening in Houston, uh, Victoria, Texas, KSEV. Vic, hey, I've been waiting to get a hold of you for a while, and I did finally. You're here. But I was, I'm here. I can't believe it. I've been trying to get on talk shows for years, but. Uh, this analysis of Trump, look back four or five years ago, he was not even taken seriously for four or five. I mean, it was unbelievable. They made jokes about him and everything else. And now we're looking for another analysis of him now. I mean, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe he's in that bad a shape as they're saying. Yeah, I'll put it this way. I know most people will not tell you that they're voting for him. They will not just say it. So I don't know how they're going to get him on the cell phone, but president's got to just look at it he's losing and he's got to go out uh, hone his message and outwork everybody because he knows how to do it and he's got the ball he's got the he's got the oval office so he could set the agenda new from the fox news podcasts network my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show, the latest hour, the latest minutes. Ami Horowitz at the bottom of the hour. He was just in the New York occupied zone. Got beat up. Uh, he's always into conflict. He's checked out Seattle. He's trying to find out what's behind this social unrest we're witnessing. Is this all about George Floyd or is it something else? I think it's much more than that. No one even brings up George Floyd's name anymore. Ben Dominich will be with us shortly. Ami Horowitz, uh, Horowitz at the bottom of the hour. Uh, and meanwhile, was following the breaking story of uh, the Seattle autonomous zone being broken up. But as I see the video, what a mess. And New York is right behind it. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think a lot of people have been focusing on the virus, which is very bad, but not focusing enough on the downsides of some of the reactions to the virus. The hospital directors say the cases are much less acute, requiring much less intervention than what they saw back in April and so on. Uh, so that is Molly Hemingway making a lot of sense, saying the, uh, the, the stats show hospitalizations are flat, even though cases are up. 
In fact, they're up 80% over the last two weeks in this country. 500,000 tests, pretty impressive. People go back to work, they take a test. Uh, people uh, want to make sure now that you can get a test, a lot of people are just doing it. And a lot of those asymptomatic people are testing positive. That's what we hear. Number two. I'm happy to take questions if you have any. I wonder where do you think the race stands at this moment? What keeps you up at night? If elected, how are you going to get Americans on the same page? Senator Obama, are you comfortable? Is there anything we can get for you? Uh, that is funny. That's SNL, the latter, uh, the latter side. But Biden breaks from his basement, makes a generic speech, and takes the softest question since President Obama lives in the White House. The difference in tone in Trump uh, with Trump is striking. We'll share it. Number one. I am proud of the changes that we secured. I do wish we had done more to cut the NYPD. This is the beginning. We are going to reimagine policing in New York City, and we're not going to stop until we get there. My eyes are closed. I'm imagining utter chaos. Corey Johnson, New York City Council Speaker, defunding and diminishing the police. Went from a theory to reality on Tuesday in New York City and Los Angeles in the city of New York. One billion cut. Millions leave the LAPD. 143 million, to be honest, uh, to be clear. And all of that is not enough for AOC. Unbelievable. Well, at this hour, Seattle Police move in to take back CHOP. Meanwhile, a couple who took up arms because police were not coming to protect them find themselves under fire. Also this weekend, happy to report that there's going to be a there's a mission statement for the Department of Homeland Security and Interior to protect our monuments and our statues. So Statue of Liberty, you can exhale. I think you're going to be OK. I see all the calls up there, but let's bring in Ben, ben Dominicho, the Federalist, and he is uh, the publisher there. And has two great columns out, one from his interview with the President of the United States. And you point out something else, Ben, that I that I noticed more last week than this week. But it's just as bad this week. We're the Republicans defending our history, our monuments. They've been invisible outside Mike Lee, Marco Rubio and, of course, Tom Cotton. It's really it's really unacceptable, Brian. I mean, I. I don't know. I mean, I kind of want to walk into the uh, Senate Republican conference and, and ask them, you know, what happened? Did your balls fall off? <laughs> it's, Absolutely. It's a situation where, where nobody is standing up with the president on this. And it, it boggles the mind because these people wrap themselves in the flag and they talk about defending the founders and things like that when they want to raise money. But then it's like you actually have a situation here where you need to stand up and defend them and you're not doing it. And I think that, that, look, the president told me on Friday that he thought they were being uh, nervous about uh, being called racist. He thought they were being too politically correct. Uh, But whatever the motivation, this is a situation that is unacceptable. I do not like a situation, Brian, when it's people like you, it's people like Tucker on your network who are standing up and defending these things. And we have elected officials with actual power to do things who are not standing locked arms with the black and brown members of our working class police force across the country and defending these symbols of our national pride, uh, our cultural heritage that we ought to defend against this raging leftist woke mob. Uh, And it's just it's uh, it's unacceptable to me. 
people need to ch- uh, to shift their mindsets on this and stop paying attention to what the media would like them to say. They need to start paying attention to what history demands of them and what our heritage is in terms of defending it. See, I feel you're talking to me now not as a journalist or publisher of The Federalist, or but I think you're talking <laughs> to me as a person, just as an American. Am I right? You're outraged I mean, as an American. Yeah. I, I am outraged as an American. You know, it's funny. I, I have, uh, I know you have a lot of art from the great Steve Penley uh, around those Fox studios. We have paintings uh, from him uh, that that are in our house, several paintings of him, uh, from him, uh, including uh, of, you know, multiple great American heroes. Including Senator John uh, McCain, including, I imagine. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in, our, in our foyer, we have, uh, you know, the, the same people who are on Mount Rushmore. And last week, uh, uh, Eric Kaufman, who is a uh, an academic and who studied a lot of different leftist movements, uh, he's uh, based in the UK. He's from uh, Canada, but he's someone who truly appreciates America. He did a survey and he found that 44 percent of American liberals said that they favored the destruction of Mount Rushmore. Okay, now that's not a majority, and of course, it's not a majority of the country in any way. But 44 percent of American liberals favoring the destruction of Mount Rushmore. We need to understand what we are up against here, which is a group of people who truly want to destroy American history because they view it as irredeemably racist, as completely unacceptable to the modern era. And it's something that needs to be wiped out uh, in order to have kind of a year zero moment where we start anew and create some kind of socialist utopia. It's something that we have to stand up against as a people. And I don't understand the situation where we see common people, uh, you know, people who are just citizens having more bravery in defending these things than the people who we have elected as our leaders, who we should look to in moments like this, to stand up and, and to speak out against, again, the woke leftist mob that only wants to see destruction. But you point out that, that the conservatives have just given up on academia. They have just said, OK, yeah. we're going to let uh, let's let the liberals, let the Democrats take control of that. And that's why we see now a whole generation growing up hating America. I mean, trying to destroy, see the things some of them are doing. Listen to James Clyburn yesterday, and this struck me. I had no idea how he was going to answer this question. Cut 36. No one was more anti-slavery than Ulysses S. Grant. Mm -hmm. Yet, I saw the other day that somebody interpreted his having married into a family of slave owners that he was disqualified. I could not disagree more. I think Ulysses Grant ought to be judged on his own merits, not whether or not he married uh, someone whose parents uh, owned slaves. And that's what happened to him. So I just think that everybody ought to get from the grips with what the real history is. He went on to talk about Washington, 37. The fact of the matter is, yes, he was a slave owner. uh, But do you remember what happened to his slaves Uh, at the end of his reign? He freed them. He also talked about Jefferson in a positive way. So Jefferson and Washington get to stay. I imagine James Madison and Monroe, too. But the, uh, the other's got to go. Like, the Confederate statue is a separate conversation. Uh, and if you want to have a commission, like Tom Cotton says, to look at renaming bases, you could do that. But not in a fit of rage. And what I saw with that Jackson thing, I thought was so abhorrent, with chains around his neck and ropes trying to pull it down. I'm watching this horror show play before t- while Tucker's show is on. I'm saying to myself, where are the police? You know, I, I had a conversation with uh, with Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, before I went in to interview the president on Friday, and, and 
he was telling me about the, the sort of TikTok of that. And he said he really believed that if they had waited another 10 or 15 minutes, that that statue would have been on the ground. And I don't know if you know this about that statue, uh, uh, Brian. Uh, I know you know a great deal about Andrew Jackson. But that statue is actually the first uh, equestrian statue uh, ever made in the United States of America. It, it was kind of a, a, a huge achievement at the time in terms of uh, just the design of it. It's, it's a priceless work of art. And these, this woke mob, they, they actually, they planned to do this. Like this was not, you know, some random event. This was something that they came prepared to do. They were bent on destruction. And to me, that's, that's a terrorist act. That's something that we have to fight back against and that we say, you know, as Americans, this is not how we decide things. We do not let mobs decide things for us. We have processes. We have a representative, uh, you know, uh, uh, process. We have both, you know, town uh, meetings and councils, and we have uh, decisions that are made by the people and for the people. We do not let mobs make those decisions for us. And I think that in this moment, this is exactly the kind of moment that Republicans ought to stand up and say, you know, look, if we're going to move things around, if we think that, you know, we don't want this statue of this Confederate here or there, that's something to be decided in a process, not by a mob. Right. And, and to me, the, 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 the willingness to bend the knee to this mob on the part of our leaders is just unacceptable. It's disgusting, and it needs to change. Well, And what happened with law enforcement? They took a knee. They understood that George Floyd was wrong, so they took a knee. And no one saw it as a, a moment in which law enforcement should suddenly be respected. They've been more abused since. They've given up another precinct, this one in Seattle. At, as we speak, Ugh. they're beginning to take down the autonomous zone. But listen to what Hawk Newsom of the New York chapter of Black Lives Matter told Martha. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking uh, figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. Like, let's be very real. And, and, and let's observe the history of the 1960s. When black people were rioting, we had the highest growth in wealth, in property ownership. Think about the last few weeks. Since we started protesting, uh, there have been eight cops fired across the country. And there's also been cops killed. So these thinks the unrest is producing results. I, you know, I, I just I don't understand this. Because from my perspective, you had a, a real moment after the death of George Floyd to make the case that, know. you know, hey, uh, police brutality is a problem. We need to address it. We should continue to address it. It's maybe less of a problem now than it's maybe ever been in our history in terms of just the, the data that we have. But, you know, hey, it's, it, it is a problem. We should address it. We should have more training. We should have better training. And we should, you know, uh, weed out cops who maybe abuse their power. That's something that I think every American can, can agree on. That is not an anti-cop statement. Cops keep us safe. They're who you need in your worst moments. Mm-hmm. They are what you. They are what we demand in terms of uh, not just maintaining the safety, but preventing the kind of lawlessness that leads to uh, violence and that leads to the destruction of property. That's something that we ought to defend and appreciate as Americans, uh, as as people who believe in law and order, and and to see the kind of treatment that cops have been subjected to, particularly in New York, which is a great American city, let's say that, is, is, uh, is just unacceptable under this, uh, the leadership of this terrible mayor. I mean, uh, it's, it's all fun and games to say that you're going to elect 
uh, this this ridiculous socialist uh, and with his wacky ideas when nothing really matters. But when serious things happen, when you have problems hit the fan, then it does matter. And in this case, I, I have to say, you know, we have the worst kind of leaders in this particular moment uh, of a, of this great city, and and it's it's just unacceptable to me, Brian. I my wife has lived in that city for the last. Uh, for uh, basically 18 of the last 20 years. And she is uh, honestly seeing all of the people that she knows and loves, the, the places she knows and loves, closing down, fleeing the city, moving out of it. And, and that's because of the ridiculous policies of Bill de Blasio and his acceptance of all of the demands of these various woke mobs, as opposed to prioritizing the kind of order that is made for a thriving city and honestly good policing, a, a reform in policing that has led to better policing over the past decade, uh, you know, and right. and that and more. And I just think that this is a situation where we have to have a dramatic change in order to see the kind of policies that would allow the city to come back in the way that we truly hope it will. Ben Dominic, truth is, of course, your wife, Megan McCain. And uh, part of this is pre-pandemic was the problem. Now the pandemic's taking place. Get, get your head around this. So for the longest time, New York was the worst. New Jersey was second worst. And uh, Connecticut was marginally better. So they made this consortium, and we took our time opening up. All these businesses are dying, never coming back. But they said, well, what do you want? The numbers are going up. The numbers are so far down. They've gone to phase two. But because the numbers are going up elsewhere, we're going to freeze. So all these (laughs) restaurants in New York and New Jersey, they were hoping for indoor dining and rehired their people, are freezing because other states have gone up. So we're bad. You know, when we're bad, we pay the price. And when others go bad, we pay the price. How do you expect you know, these people to exist? Brian, Brian I hope, I've always had this idea that as a, a, a test before you're allowed to run for office, you ought to run a Dairy Queen for a week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I think, these, I think these folks just don't know how small businesses work or how restaurants work. They don't understand the kind of upheaval that they are. Uh, engendering with this kind of decision, which is completely baseless. I mean, it just does not make any sense. And look, I understand that there's uh, a lot of spikes across the country. I mean, it's not like, you know, there was a big gathering or anything like that that happened in the last couple of weeks that, you know, really got a lot of young people out there. And, and of course, the spikes are primarily among young people. Right. You know, no, we have to pretend that that didn't happen and that didn't have any effect. But, you know, look, this is a an untenable situation to say, we are not going to figure out how to live with this. Instead, we're going to pretend like lockdowns are actually going to work. And frankly, these lockdowns are unenforceable. I mean, they can they can go out and they can find people. They can try to you know make things happen. But it's not like you have enough cops or authority to actually enforce these kinds of things. I, I hope, frankly, that, that people resist this and that they get a, a si- significant gotcha. degree of blowback for the decisions that they're making I because so. they're, they're not based in reality. I don't know if you saw Rand Paul's rant against Dr. Fauci the other day uh, about reopening schools. But to me, at a certain gotcha. point, we have to rec- recognize that. Yeah. Hey, Ben, thanks so much. We're up against a break. Awesome stuff. Ben Dominich. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Went a little long there. Lance, listening online in Spokane, Washington. Lance. 
Hi, Brian. Yep. Hey, um, I just wanted to make a comment real quick about the, this this Russian thing with the Taliban, paying yep. the Taliban. You know, I was I, I got to thinking about it. It's been frustrating me why no one's thought about the fact that the Taliban kill Americans no matter what. They don't need to be paid. That's just something they do. I no mean, kidding. That in it, That's all they that do. In itself, that's in, that in itself tells me that that, that story is a bunch of BS. It's, they don't need to be paid. They will die doing that. They don't care about money. Yeah, they want to go to the Walmart and have something to spend. They don't have enough. Uh, they don't have enough recreational cash uh, laying around. Uh, Don, listen, WPTF in Raleigh. Don, real quick. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much. I'm a Cold War veteran. Served back under Ronald Reagan, and the aspect of communism, of course, and everything that we see going on is driving me crazy. Specifically, where this leak occurred from inside. To me, that is classified as treason. Anytime you put our country's security or the people itself in jeopardy and you willingly do that, that should be a treasonous act. And I feel that that person, if they're rooted out, should be just like Dan Bongino says, perp walked out and executed. But you wonder why the president doesn't trust his intelligence? It's not that he distrusts the people. He constantly finds this stuff happening. The media turns on him. There are sources within the intel agency. There are sources within the Pentagon. And when he questions them, they say, well, you're being unpatriotic. Not really. It's just the people there who don't want him there. That's the problem. And that obviously is the story. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Enough is enough. Our job is to protect and to serve the community. Our job is to support peaceful demonstrations. But what has happened here on these streets over the last two weeks, few weeks that is, is lawless and it's brutal. And bottom line, it is simply unacceptable. And that is the police chief of Seattle as they broke up, we believe, and at a press conference afterwards, broke up the autonomous zone. It's been a joke. It's been embarrassment to the nation. They gave up the police precinct and blocks of Seattle in order to defuse the situation. And it became chaos. People died. Shootings took place and cops did not come. A man that was there is Army Horowitz, filmmaker, political satirist. uh, uh, And uh, he's always uh, in the middle of things. Army, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. What could you tell us about what was really taking place? First off, I know you're in New York in the autonomous zone there, the Occupy zone, they're calling it. But first on Seattle, what did you see when you were there? So what you have to understand, and this goes both for uh, the New York Occupy zone as well as the Seattle Occupy zone, is this absolute, the media portrayal of, of these zones is, is such media malpractice, it's hard to, to, to describe how bad the journalism, the journalism is happening on these things. They're portraying them as like wonderful places, you know, free love, everybody's great and happy and wonderful. And, it's a, and the truth is, these are dangerous, radical places. And it's just beyond my understanding how there can be this media narrative lie about what's really going on. They are hardcore, they are dangerous, and that's why we saw Seattle being broken up. And I hope 
we will soon see New York broken up as well. Well, here's what, how it started, and here's where it ended. The people that started it said, I don't know who's in charge of it. Listen to these two African-American men. Cut 10. Violence is being brought to this place, and we as a community are concerned. They got to shut this down. This is not... This, I don't know what this is now. This is turning into something else now. I'm sorry, but this needs to come to an end, period. It is drawing a certain type of violence there, and it needs to be, it needs to be shut down. But it, it wasn't shut down. Very simply, the mayor was embracing it, even though they were actually calling for her firing. She told Chris Cuomo that it's going to be the summer of love. Remember, cut nine. How long do you think Seattle in those few blocks looks like this? I don't know. We could have the summer of love. Well, tell that to the police who was supposed to be in that precinct. I mean, I don't understand, Ami, how clueless she is. She's got a responsibility to those shopkeepers and those citizens, not to a bunch of anarchists. So let me, so there's this, both, you know, again, all of these autonomous zones are are a continuation of, of two trends. One is they're making normative these radical ideologies, and, and, and secondly, these Democratic-controlled cities, not just her, but also here in New York, they're the epicenters of this violence, and these city officials, it is, it's unbelievable how they're acquiescing to these radicals. I mean, it really comes down to the fact that you heard her there. She's actually promoting it. It's a wonderful place, Summer of Love. That's what we're talking about. You're having these city officials who simply not only are acquiescing, they're agreeing with the premise of these things. And that is so dangerous and so insane that these city officials are actually lining up with people who are burning down precincts, attacking police officers. Uh, Everywhere you go, both in, in, in CHOP, and the New York occupied zone, you don't see, hey, let's try to maybe manage the police budget a little bit. Well, you're seeing graffiti scrawled everywhere in the signage. Let abolish the police and let's kill the police. There's literally signage that I took that shows threatening police officers. And, and the fact that city officials are aligning themselves with these people is beyond belief, Brian. And it's happening. Who are they? Are they organized? So they're, they're definitely organized. Um, whether or not there's some larger hand, some more sinister force on a national level, it's really impossible to know right now. I'm sure it'll come out at some point. But yes, you basically have Black Lives I think that the main organizer of the local Black Lives Matters um, or, you know, organizational structure in those cities. Um, and then they are aligned with other uh, queer organizations, for example, in, here in New York, uh, or anti-police organizations. Um, in Seattle, you had Antifa people who were involved in them. So, yeah, there, there are local uh, organizations that are the directing hand in the city and on the ground. It's, it's really hard to know. It's impossible whether Black Lives Matter nationally is involved. We just don't know the answers yet, but I think we'll get to the bottom of it at some point. Let's talk about New York. The mayor kind of embraced this. Mayor de Blasio said, yeah, if you want to set up over there, that'll be fine. we got to debate the budget over the next two days. How many hundreds are there? What did you experience? So there are hundreds of people there. And um, again, it's similar. No, no police are entering. And when police, there are police are kind of not around the perimeter exactly, but in, in the area of the park. And when they come too close, they take these bullhorns and start threatening the police officers. It's really scary. So I got there to shoot one of my videos that we've talked about. And, and um, at some point they got wise to what I was doing. And then it got kind of scary, Brian. What in happened fact, was about get- 15 people... Well, yeah, you about, gave me some audio. So, I, what are we yeah. going to be hearing? 
So this is the beginning of the mob kind of approaching me and threatening me before they gra- and before they uh, grabbed my phone and kind of threw it in the ground and physically accosted me. And he's over here taking a video of me. You know, you can take a video of me anytime you want. You can come back. Put your phone Watch down. Put your phone down. What was that? They were trying for your phone. How many people? Uh, probably about 15 people kind of came around me. Um, you know, obviously they were kind of threatening just with, you know, they're calling for threats against me. And then at some point, uh, somebody punched me in the back, grabbed my phone, turned it off, threw it down the ground. I grabbed, I, I went, bent down to pick it up. And then uh, several people kind of grabbed me and then threw me out of the actual occupied zone. It's free love, Brian. It's all <laughs> wonderful. People are great. There's no violence, right? It's all... <laughs> It's, it's all made up in our own right-wing head. This is what we're facing here. Were they social distancing when they were beating you up? <laughs> yeah, no, there was no social distancing going on whatsoever. But I do want to give you a couple of their, again, to show the media portrayal of what's happening in New York, it, it, it's beyond belief. The New Yorker had this long, glowing piece of how beautiful these people are. Let me give you these, their list of demands. Just, you know, and this is not, they're not hiding the ball. They, have, they have it printed there for you to see, and, 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 and every hour somebody stands up and, and and, and yells on a bullhorn what they want. They want to decriminalize, ready, Brian? Everything. They want to decriminalize all things. They want to defund the police to zero. They want to give back all of our land, which means the U.S., back to indigenous peoples. They want no borders. They want to end capitalism. And, of course, Brian, obligatory in every radical handbook, they have to free Palestine. These are the most radical possible demands you can have, yet the media is treating these people with seriousness. Brian, that's the problem we're facing. Who are these people? Did they go to college? Are they educated? Are they homeless? It, yes, yes, yes. It's a, it's a real w- wide range of wackos. So there are people there who are, seem to be quite educated, people who can really elucidate what their, what their goals are, what their plans are. Then you have, of course, the kind of violent thugs, black and white. I would say it's about 75% white, 25% black, and there are violent thugs there that I was on the receiving end of. And then you have, like, your homeless people who are kind of there to, you know, enjoy the, the, free, the free vegan food. So it's a whole wide range of absolute wackos on this thing, and um, it's dangerous. It's bad. It's dangerous. It's not good for our country. Ami Horowitz, uh, where do we get your taste? Where do we see them? You can all go to AmiHorowitz.com or Twitter or YouTube. You know, the usual places, right? All right, good. So we'll get a chance to see that. Not that people don't mind hearing it, but I think visuals will tell even a better story uh, inside the occupied, uh, occupied zone in New York City. Ami, congratulations. Uh, I admire your courage, and keep doing, some, keep doing the great work. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. Michael on KRMG in Tulsa. Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you doing, Brian? Good. So you're a Trump guy that thinks that oh, so the Trump enthusiasm is still there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, The um, I've spoke to a lot of people in the Tulsa area, and there are two reasons people did not show up at that uh, Tulsa debacle. And reason number one is all of the mass hype of, you know, there's a, a million people that have signed up. I even registered myself, never got the confirmation email that I could even go. Um, you know, so many people signed up and registered. There were going to be over 100,000 people outside in the streets, you know, in the hot streets in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and all the rioters. So the, you know, so many people didn't show up because they knew they weren't even going to get to go in. 
they weren't even going to be able to watch anything on stage because it's going to be so many people out there. And then uh, option or the other uh, the other issue was all of the writing that was supposed to have taken place. So everybody I spoke to, they were just heartbroken um, and just stayed home and watched it on TV versus going in and really wish we would have just showed up. Yeah, you got about 8 million people watched online. They have more about uh, millions watched on the stream. But the president should have it in open air, should have went out of his way to put the directions down there to walk, offer people masks, to get rid of the critics and focus on the message. That's what I would do. Well, Let's it, focus on the message I, so we aren't focused about where, where people are standing and what they're wearing. Right. And I agree with that completely. I would also go to say is they probably don't need to do the online registrations because we saw on Facebook a lot of people going in, AOC recommending people to go on and register to take up the seats that were being available. Um, You know, get rid of the online registration. First come, first serve. Let everybody come. All right. He is uh, uh, very important to this show. We got the calls. Michael over in Oklahoma. Appreciate it. Army Horowitz, great job. And we come back, we find out if there's more to know and take some more of your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. On air, online, and on demand for 10 years. I tell you, you are always the first person I'm listening to in the morning. I would like to compliment you on having the best show on radio. Thank you. We've got a craving for a conservative like you. You guys are telling the truth, and I couldn't tell you how thankful we are. I just want to thank you for being cheerful and, you know, making me laugh every day. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, special thanks to Amy Horowitz for helping us out there going inside these autonomous zones. You see how sick these people are, what they wanted. They don't want anything to do with making the country better, policing better, places more secure, racial equity. They want chaos because they can't make it in society. And the scary thing is people are teaching this crap to them. I don't know where they're getting it. Uh, Scott, listen, WNIS in Virginia Beach. Scott. Hey, Brian, love your show, what you're doing. Thanks for all you're doing. Um, the quick comment I want to make, remember when Sanders gave his concession speech, he said there was going to be a wave of violence or a movement that was uncontrollable and unstoppable. So, I mean, obviously, a ton of these people are Sanders supporters, and I guess my question point is, why aren't we going after and trying to see who's funding these people as well? They're worried about defunding the cops. Well, let's defund these fools and get I, this stuff. I agree. They know? need to be interrogated. They need to be interrogated. Uh, and I cannot believe we haven't done that at some level, especially on the FBI level, because this is – I mean, they've taken over a city. They've hurt people's uh, life and their security. That is a reason enough. The president should send the FBI in. Thanks so much. Uh, Michael, KRMG, Tulsa. Michael. Hey, Brian. How you doing, sir? Good. Good. So here's my take, and I did go into the show, uh, uh, the, the Trump rally. The, the local press here spent about mostly seven days convincing everybody here in Oklahoma City that if they came over and went or went from, from Tulsa, that they probably would get it, and they probably would end up in the hospital and probably on a ventilator. And they talked about it every day. Then the, the zone that they created, the secure zone, consume most of the parking garages so anybody that was elderly that couldn't walk very far they didn't have a chance because you had to park about somewhere between a half to a mile away and then the mayor here was was he he wouldn't guarantee anybody's safety he kept you know he's a democratic mayor he kept saying i'm not sure if it's really safe to go down there 
he let the thugs hang right outside the gate. I was spit on, cussed at. I think I was I had liquid thrown at me, and I think it was water. I hope it was water. So you throw all of that combination. Oh, and I was also with about fifty people that we were walking together to go through that, and only six of us made made it through that gauntlet. The others all went back to their car and went home. Unbelievable. Uh, thanks so much for the call, and I love the up, uh, up close and personal eye, uh, eyewitness account. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Commissioner Adam Silver acknowledged his plan to continue the season. Orlando could hit a huge speed bump. He said, concerning growing, we're not going to do this no matter what. Quote, we and our players together with the union look at the data on a daily basis. If there was something to change that was outside of the scope of what we're playing for, certainly we would revisit our plans. Some players, including about three New Jersey Nets, excuse me, Brooklyn Nets, are, are not going. Next. Time Magazine blasted after a writer calls for superheroes to be re-examined along with police. This is unbelievable. Time Magazine Alina Dockerton says, As we engage in long overdue conversations about law enforcement, it's high time we also talk about the most popular characters in films. The ones who decide the parameters of justice. What are the superheroes except cops with capes who enact justice with their powers? How dare we make cops look good? Oh, a live PD. Why do people not... Why do we just accept that was even taken off? Next. I don't know this one or else I would have done it. Next. Beers for your brain. The study claims that if you drink lightly every day, you're actually smarter. After examining associations between alcohol consumption and cognition over time among middle-aged and elderly Americans, the team at UGA concluded... That light to moderate drinking may actually preserve brain functioning in old age. Surprisingly, adults who consume one to two alcoholic drinks per day usually perform better on the cognition tests over time than non-drinkers. So it's never too late to start drinking. It's kind I'm of reverse be so age. so smart when I get older. Yeah, but when you get older, yeah. If you can be moderate, don't go crazy. No ladies' nights. Next. A quarter of gym goers don't expect they'll ever return to the gym. It's the last thing to open up across the country. Even though 30 states have done it, 2,000 adults who exercise at least twice a week were polled. The survey was conducted on behalf of Life Aid Beverage Company. Nearly a quarter of the respondents, 24%, said they will never return to a gym at all. A third will keep their membership but expect to go less frequently. About half plan to wait a bit before returning. I, for one, miss it a lot. Uh, But I am finding a way to work out. Next, Peloton. Cuomo says MTV VMAs will be back August 30th. Something to make, I'll make sure I never watch. I'll continue not to watch. The question is, will they have people there? 19,000-seat arena, empty? What do you think? They're also talking about having it spread out in different locations, too, not just at the Barclays Center to try to keep the social distancing in effect. Right, but they got to put some people in there, don't they? Still, yeah, they'll have some, they'll have some people. I can't believe I, I'm here. Uh, they have going to put through five boroughs, uh, Brooklyn, the Bronx, uh, Staten Island, Queens, and Manhattan. So that's got to be good news. August 30th. I really think baseball is going to end up with some fans. I would not be surprised if, if basketball is going well, they slide some into Orlando as well. Speaking of fans, did you see, I think it's the Giants, that they're going to have cardboard cutouts in the stands. Oh, really? Oakland, yeah. uh, the Giants, and it might be Oakland A's too. Yeah. I mean, right. what do you think about it? And they're also talking about piping in sound effects, I guess, canned cheering, fake well, cheering. Well, I saw it with soccer already, and it helps. However, how, how do you pipe in cheering? You need an audio tech person, so they score a goal, they score a run, you need cheering. And so the murmur makes no sense if you see a homer. 
but the, the sound of fans, I was able to accept it. And they don't show the stands. But I believe they're going to start putting some fans in Europe. Uh, I don't see why you can't put 20,000 in a big football stadium. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be. Also, I'll be on the five later. Um, in for Greg. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.